this morning as you have your copy of God's Word open. I'll be focusing then on Colossians 1. Or Colossians 2 verses 1 and 2. And so this morning, the title of the sermon I put so that we could be reminded of what it is to have blessed assurance. Many of you have sang that song, and uh, if I was fit, I would sing it for you. But since we want to do something more fitting, I'll merely preach about his blessed assurance and leave the singing to those who are gifted for such. But many of you have been blessed by that song, certainly. Blessed assurance, Jesus mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. And so this morning, we can understand some sense of assurance in many ways. In this life, we find ourselves always seeking in some way, and I'm going to mention some ways in which we, are, we pursue it, and it might bring to your mind the importance of this idea of assurance. You know, these cell phones reveal a lot about what we are and what we do, don't they? And so often, my wife will take my cell phone and she'll peruse through it. Now, I know in her life, if you ask her, do you trust your husband? Sure, I trust my husband. But you know, when they go through text messages, or you take your son's phone and go through his text messages, or your spouse takes your phone and goes through your text messages, you know what they don't want to find? Something that destroys the assurance that you're a one-man woman or a one-woman man. Something that would reveal that your son or your daughter are saying things or doing things which on the surface you don't see. What they want to see and come away with is some sense of assurance that what you come across with in your life is, is what's demonstrated by your phone or your text. There are many other ways that we in this life seek assurance. Those things are real. You know, in this life, if you buy a house or you buy a car, and you have any dealings with a bank, they're quite concerned that you give them some sense of an assurance that you're going to pay it back. If you sit down and begin to run through documents, it's page after page after page. You're signing your name to that document. What are they after? They just like your signature? Oh, no. You can give them your verbal word. But when push comes to shove and they have to hire someone as a lawyer to pursue you because your word wasn't what you accomplished, they need a signature. You gave them your assurance, but you didn't follow through. Is it not true that you can see in many, many places how life for us is all about this understanding and idea of security or assurance. At the hospital, you'll sign a paper that says, if your insurance company doesn't pay the bill, you will. They want that assurance from you. You might sign your name and not even have the money to pay it. That's kind of an anomaly, isn't it? Even our kids in school, they'll do what? Kids, what do y'all do with your pinkies? We pinky swear. We want to know that if you agree as friends, we do something that sets the deal. And so in the scripture, we see so many places that speak of the value of true assurance. You see, we try many ways in this life. 
thing, and, and it's necessary. Listen, I believe that if a bank's going to lend you money, they should make certain that you mean what you say. I believe that's right. If you're going to sell somebody a piece of property, you should make certain that that person is going to do what they say. So there are ways that we do that, and that's important. Our word should be our bond. But very often it's not. And so we find ourselves carrying that same thought at times into the Scripture. Right? So what is it for us that's so important about assurance? And so I want to ask you, if you, even, if you were asked to define assurance, what would you say? Some sense of confidence or certainty, certainly that, would give an idea of what assurance is. A positive declaration intended to give confidence, a promise. Certainly those things is, get to the root or the meaning of what assurance is. In the Bible, it speaks about, in the word we're going to see in Colossians, a supreme certainty. That's really important. Not only do we see in Colossians 2 this idea of full assurance of understanding, but in Hebrews, a full assurance of hope, full assurance of faith. The Bible gives us, as those who are believers in Christ, this sense of certainty and confidence in our walk of faith and our trust in our Savior. The value of that is spoken of in this passage by words like riches. Now, I've seen long lines for folks who handed out money. Anybody comes when there's riches involved or even the possibility of riches. And so we see in Scripture that this reality of assurance brings with it this great encouragement, something that we can put in value like the world does money or wealth. The Bible does in the way of riches in assurance. So this morning, as you consider this theme of the Scripture this ideal of what Colossians is getting after and what Paul wants for that particular church and what God wants for his children, not just here but all over the world. And you'll know in Colossae, as we've learned from others who spoke on this text, there's false teachers who are bringing about a sense of trouble in the church. And so it was Paul's concern, after having been given the information by a faithful minister of the gospel, Epiphras, who was a minister or pastor there in Colossae, that they were being disturbed by false teaching. You would think, well, that's early on in the church. Well, if you'll read your Bible, you'll note that most of the books of the Bible that are written, especially the letters of Paul and Peter and others, it was simply because there were many false teachers upsetting the faith of those in the church and creating and causing a lack of assurance. It was a difficulty in the early church, as it will always be. The devil is always about his business of bringing to the minds of those who trust in Christ the question as to whether or not Christ is actually who and did exactly, actually what he said he did. So you always note that's true. Was it not true in the garden? Did God say? Did he really? And so we see this idea of assurance. But I want, I, want to, I want to encourage you this morning with this thought. I think many times we face in our life different things and we see folks who have embraced the faith or trusted Christ or walked faithfully with the Lord for a certain number of years 
and we see them quickly fall away. And we assume that assurance for Christians is something that's fleeting and really not even a thing. What I want you to ask yourself this morning is, am I basing what I believe on this sense of biblical assurance or is there this idea of presumption? You see, those are two totally distinct things. And I want you to think about that. It's important. There is a way that seems right to a man. But the end thereof are the ways of death, the writer of Proverbs says in Proverbs 14 and verse 12. So you need to understand that presumption is this. It's an idea on which we build other beliefs, but it's not certain. That's critical. You see, I think it's demonstrated most by someone like Uzzah in 2 Samuel 6, 6 through 7. Though he had heard the book of Deuteronomy, he had seen all that God had written through Moses. He had worshipped around the tabernacle and all of those places that God had established for his name. He had been friends of David. And when they went to transport the ark, it was Uzzah who reached out at the threshing floor of Nacon with presumption and touched the ark and died. He was thoughtless about what he was doing. You see, I'm, I believe with all of my heart that he wasn't being evil in that moment. By no means. But the reality of it was he was thoughtless about his action. And so it can be for us. Presumption is many times those who are in the faith simply have presumption about their certainty in Christ. It quickly Please, when something comes that's a trial or a trouble. Now we know in our church we've seen demonstration after demonstration of folks who faced many difficult things and they've held faithful to the cause of Christ. They've buried children, they've buried spouses, they've went through cancer, they've heard difficult things in many ways and yet they've remained certain in their Christianity. They've demonstrated the biblical word of assurance in so many ways. But for each of us, we examine ourselves in light of this. So with you and with me, we think of this in this light. Assurance, do you have it? The Bible says it's riches to those who do. Presumption, do you have that? In a day of trial, it will leave you. It's like building your house on sand. You see, the house looks fine until the troubles come. The flood tested both houses. That one built on the rock remains. So assurance has a foundation. And that's what I want you to consider in light of this statement in Colossians 2, the way of assurance. It's critical. I want you to think with me how it is that God establishes in your life and mine this rich blessing of assurance. So many find themselves in their Christian faith tossed to and fro, like Paul says in Ephesus. The very reason that there's pastors and teachers and apostles and prophets is in order that men might be grounded in their faith, rooted in Christ, and able to stand against the waves of this life which seek to cast you in different places or lay you aside completely. Even Colossians 2 said, be be aware that no one deludes you. Be careful that you're not taken captive. Those are big words. 
And so this morning, consider this. In Colossians 2 and verse 1, Paul begins to express some of the things that he's experiencing in his life. Paul was writing this letter not from the Holiday Inn in Cancun, but from a Roman prison. And you know, that's not like a federal prison in our country. You can ask some folks in our church who've been to those and spent some time. They would even say things like this. Man, I'd go back. <laughs> You're not going to go back to a Roman prison. It's kind of like being out in Texas with that guy who dressed everybody in pink and put them in the desert, right? You didn't want to go back there. And so it was for Paul. He was experiencing these things. But I want you to note what he says about it and how vital it is in this understanding of assurance. I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. He wants them to understand his personal experience. How valuable is your personal experience in the lives of others and their assurance? Have you ever thought about that? How do, how do we, in our faith, become rooted and grounded in what the Bible says reach the riches of full assurance of understanding. I'm saying that as Paul's speaking here, one vital necessity for the way of assurance is an example of others like Paul and others like him who carry the cross in difficult places, who experience difficult things and interpret their life experiences according to the Scripture and the cross. So Paul's in a difficult experience indeed. And he says about his experience, I want you to know what it's like. I want you to know why I'm here. You think those who walked up and down the Roman ways looked over to the jail and saw this Paul chained to two men, thought that he was there for any good reason? When I go to jail ministry and I hear them all say, look, I'm innocent. Look, I'm innocent. You think I believe that? No. So do you think the numbers of people who walked around and looked over at the jail in Rome and saw Paul sitting there thought he was innocent? Oh, I'm innocent. I didn't do anything. It wasn't me. It's not what they thought. Most of them thought exactly what you think. When you see somebody in jail, what do you think? They did something wrong. They broke the law. They sinned. That's what everyone would have thought. Paul wasn't satisfied with just simply letting people think that, especially those who were pursuing Christ. He wanted them to know exactly why he was there. I'm filling up the remaining struggles of Christ and his body. He put the interpretation that was correct on the things he was experiencing in this life. Why was he there? Because he was preaching the gospel. Why was he preaching the gospel? He'd begin with stewardship from God to go to the Gentile world and to make known the riches of the glory of Christ. And because of it, he was in these shackles. And so it was that he helped the Colossian church understand exactly why he was there. Paul was able to say something like this, and wouldn't it, isn't it so easy for us 
When someone comes with a, str a struggle or trial, we say, look, you need to follow Christ. That's an easy statement to make. But this is the more biblical one. Be imitators of me as I am of what? Christ. That was Paul's statement. His statement to this church as he helped them come to this solid assurance of their faith and enjoy all the riches of it was this. You follow me because I follow Christ. Where I'm at today, I'm at because I love the gospel. I'm here in chains because of Christ. Are your experiences in your life because you love Christ? And do you interpret them that very way? You see, I believe that for this church and others, and for those in your home and family to develop and grow in this sense of assurance, they need examples that are living and right in front of them. This was the point. Paul's point was that he wanted them to know his experiences for what purpose? That their heart might be encouraged. That word encouraged has been, maybe your copy of the scripture says comfort, encouragement, or strength, strengthen. The point of this text is this reality. Your experiences interpreted correctly and not left to grumbling and complaining will be the very foundation and encouragement for those around you to find in their own life assurance in Christ. You see, if you give up the faith, or if you turn inward, or if you start complaining or grumbling, Paul sang in prison, here he put the best turn on his experience in prison. It's vital for you in your life, for your kids to see that. When your life is difficult, when you experience hard things, when you experience difficulties in your family, what your children need to see in order that at some point in their life they might know true riches, which is the full assurance of understanding. It's this they need to see, that the things you experience, you interpret them according to the gospel, and that explanation is clear. You see, it was Paul in every way. He even communicated this to young Timothy. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Brothers and sisters, it is vital for you who are spiritual to set this example for others that they themselves might come to this place of a rich assurance of understanding. And the knowledge of God's mystery. Interpreting their own lives by the gospel. So we see that in Paul's life. What an encouragement to those in that day. And I hope in this day in your own life. Now I would say this. How is it that we can move that work along? How many of you read biographies? I would encourage you to do so. That's an encouragement to see an example of those who believe in Christ and walk faithful. Read biographies. Watch those around you. Please. And if you're here and you're a father, you in any way have a responsibility in leadership, deacons, pastors, elders, take up the cause to be faithful in this way and demonstrate by your life an example. This very testimony. 
Secondly, notice what Paul says. He says not only that his experience and his trials would be an encouragement to those at Colossae, but also the second piece of this idea of assurance is that their hearts would be knit together. In thinking of that passage of Scripture, would it be possible for a person to have what the Bible speaks of here, this full assurance of understanding, this confidence in the mystery of God, and say they don't need the church? Your very definition of what the church is is vital to the richness of your enjoyment of what he spoke of in the fullness of understanding. Look around. The Bible says this. Paul's very design to bring them to this full assurance of understanding was the process occurs by their hearts being knit together. The word indicates something being pressed together. If you've ever seen a piece of plywood, it's not one piece of wood, it's Many pieces of wood with glue pressed together. The very idea here is that. That the hearts of the believers that gather in a community would be so knit together in love that that would be the way in which and the progress would occur for this idea of the richness of this full assurance. Do you see the value of that? So it is that your view of the church will have a huge part in the degree in which this side of heaven you enjoy the riches that God's provided for us in this thing. You see, I believe with all confidence that God's provided for you and I as Christians this idea of what the Scriptures put forward to us. And to one degree or another, you can enjoy it in this life. And it's for you, brothers and sisters. That's why he uses the word richness and treasure, fullness and things like that. If your Christian life is not in some sense, experiencing to some degree, some measure that could be described in these kinds of words, the sweetness of the Savior, like a honeycomb, is not a part of your life. There's a reason. And the reason is not because God's not provided it. And it's not that He doesn't want you to enjoy it. Just the opposite is true. God's design. And as a matter of fact, Paul's whole understanding of his ministry is to make the Word of God fully known. That's what he was there for, to make the Word of God fully known. And so that's for us. And I hope that in every way you're taking advantage of and pursuing biblically these very riches. And so the relationships you build in this church and the way in which one and the other invest in others' lives are critical to your pursuit of this very thing. You see, the gifts that set around you are vital for your growth and your enjoyment of this thing of Christianity and of Christ. The gifts that you have invested in the church are vital for the growth of others. And so this requires things. And I note that in our ministry, we we hear Mark often, and he is very helpful in this idea, isn't he? Church is not just somewhere we gather up on a Sunday morning, spend an hour and then go our way, we've done our thing. No, no. It's far more than that. It's described in Scripture as a body. You see, I'm glad my finger decided to come to church this morning and my foot wanted to go the same place my finger did. Can you imagine 
if your body parts wanted to go in different places, you would be a mess. As well as fit for a carnival because they certainly would sell you and watch you act. Some of you might feel like you got body parts in different places. But the reality is God could have used many different illustrations to demonstrate what the church was. But he used this idea of a body or a building and every piece and part has critical value in the other. So I would say this morning that you must view this thing. Why then in our lives are there times or in many cases are there folks who don't enjoy anything like riches? Their thought of the Christian faith Maybe even as a young person or a middle-aged person or even sadly an elder person. It's much like it's boring. It's boring? How can this be boring? It's impossible according to the Bible. It speaks of riches and treasures and all the things that are far from boring for those who are even alive. That's the way the Christian life is spoken about. And you see, I believe so often we miss it because we misdefine the church in our own personal lives. We need the church. It's vital. We ought to be a part of it intricately. We need like our finger needs to be a part of our hand, our toe a part of our foot. You need to be a part of a body. A physical and open demonstration of what Christ came to gather up. You see, the other night, Wednesday night, we talked about the fact that the theme of all the world is but one thing. Christ building his church. That's the theme of the world. You watch the news and it's not their theme. But you see it's God's theme. And when the angels watch TV, they're not concerned about Putin. They're concerned about Christ and what he's doing in the church. They've seen many Putins come and go. What they're amazed at is somebody like Keith Withrow who is wicked getting saved. That's what amazes them. They're not amazed at somebody dying in judgment at the flood. They expect that of God. They saw the angels, all of those folks that they knew, cast out because of sin. You see, what amazes them is eight people got on a boat. And then when they saw the Son of God come and die at the hands of the Roman soldiers, that, my friend, was amazing. And so it is for us that the body of Christ is the theme of all creation. God putting this body together, its head being Christ himself. What part are you of that body? Do you invest yourself in it? Are others investing in you? It's through this very way that God designs for you and I to enjoy this riches of full assurance. Full assurance. You see a bait? A bank cannot get that via a signature. The hospital can't get it via a signature. As a owning a plumbing company, I can't get it via a signature. Those who sign still sometimes don't pay. The hospital will tell you the same. So will a bank. They can only do their dead level best. And it's only partial. I'm not talking about that kind of assurance. Christ has given us something far beyond that. We must, though, as Proverbs say, says, pursue it like this, like we would gold and silver. Solomon says to his young sons, 
These things ought to be pursued and pursued in this way. You see the way the world pursues things with all of its passion, things that are fleeting and temporary? You and I ought to pursue these things according to Scripture with a heart beyond that, knowing that they're not fleeting and temporary. They're eternal and everlasting. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It's for certain, brothers. Notice then, thirdly, in this text, in the idea of the way of assurance. Not only is it we need examples. Daddies, be one. Pastors, deacons, leaders, be one. Mommies, be one. Not only do we need the body of Christ, put your family in it. Find a faithful ministry and get under it. Invest yourself in it. Don't be arm's distance leap from it. But also we must, in this sense, know what God's designed in this way. This full assurance is this kind of assurance of understanding and knowledge. You must engage your mind. Be sober-minded. Gird up the loins of your mind. When you go to run a race, have you ever seen folks run with baggy pants? What happens with baggy pants? Huh? Jonathan, you run with baggy pants? You use your Sunday shoes to run with? Why? Slow you down. Trip you up. It just doesn't work. You see, when we pursue something, we must pursue it correctly. So the Bible indicates here that we're not merely after, and we are emotional creatures, and we want to experience things emotionally, and I'm all about that. We want to experience that kind of thing, and God's all about that. The Bible says here that understanding and knowledge are critical in this sense of what God speaks of as a full, full measure of assurance and riches. So what does it mean? What, what is he after at this point? What will never happen in your life that you think loosely about the gospel and come to some biblical sense of assurance? That will never happen. Listen, that doesn't happen. Why then is it to be more careful about the ministry you put yourself under than a doctor you give a knife to. The doctor can only mess up your leg. If Mark messes you up, they can put a prosthetic on there. Don't get worried. They make good prosthetics. Some people even run races with them, so don't worry. But I promise you, you put yourself under a ministry that doesn't preach clearly and set in order the gospel. You not only could lose your life, certainly you could do that, but certainly you will be a meager, miserly Christian. You'll be thirsty all the time. You'll never see anything of riches. This is not what God's designed for us. He's designed something more, brothers and sisters. And so Paul in this passage in Colossians is clear about this idea of understanding. Colossians 1 as you know, not only is it that his prayer was that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and what? Understanding? What is he talking about? That you would be able clearly, 
by the preaching of the gospel and the Christian ministry and the pursuit of those things in your life to set in order correctly the truths of the scripture concerning Christ and the work of God in the world and in the lives of individuals, the place that God has put thrones and dominions and principalities and powers, if you were asked these kinds of questions, would you be clueless? Would you know more about American history or economics? Would you have a better ability to set in order those kinds of things? I'm not upbraiding you, brothers and sisters. Those things can get you a good job. But left to themselves and not interpreted by the gospel, they can't get you the riches spoken of in Colossians. These things are marvelous. But what God's called us to is this. A pursuit of the truth in the right and appropriate places that produce in us the things that the Bible speak of right here. Paul's whole goal and his drive and his design, just like with the Galatians, he said, little children, I'm in anguish again until Christ be formed in you. In anguish in childbirth. He's childbirth. I'm certain some of the women probably got offended, don't you? You ain't never had a baby. You don't know how bad that hurts. But he used that illustration in order that he might, they might understand how he longed for Christ to be formed in them. This is the thing this morning that I encourage in you. My goal is that you would enjoy Christ to the degree that you can save your Christian faith and walk, that it is riches indeed. I dive into the treasure chest and I find these things that are amazing. So what is it? It's here spoken of like this. It says concerning these things that we're able to understand Christ and his person. You see back in Colossians 1, Paul unfolded that. You see that Paul's design is that they would understand God's will about his intentions in the world. And you see going forward that Paul would encourage this church at Colossae to understand what their whole life was tied up in and who it consisted in. And he always uses these kinds of words. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Boy, that is quite confusing to some degree. Christ in me. All of these things, do they lay you aside or do they just pique your curiosity and do you pursue them? Do you ask the questions, what is it? I want more. Are you able to take the truth about Christ and set it in order in such a way that it gives you a foundation to stand on in this life, that you're not shaken by the winds of wokeness or the winds of things that are untrue or the winds of evolution? Some teacher can't come and sweep away some weak shadow that you've built on something that has no foundation. Is it that some TV preacher can convince you to send him some money and give you some confidence in this thing of Christianity? You see, many churches over the years, we know by history, have been built on this false and foolish thing. Is it that to some degree we've not pursued this understanding 
in such a way that it's fixed and foundational in our lives. That's what we have Sunday school for. That's why we gather up. That's why we encourage you in your home to talk about these things. Write them on the doorpost of your house. Tattoo them on your hands. Listen. Pursuing God from His Word and looking all at everything through Christ is vital to the growth in your life and this riches of assurance that come. And notice this statement that he makes, the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. The foundation that you have to have to interpret anything, your experiences and that of others, life in general, and the nations or history, the Bible says, is here in Christ. If you're satisfied with the world's interpretation and some sense of human tradition or worldly philosophy and you try to tie those things up together with Christ, I'm telling you, it's a mixture that you're going to spit out. It's not any good. It's the very thing that you're going to experience in this life that, ex that gives you zero sense of the fullness of assurance that we're speaking of here in riches. So to what degree have you embraced that? You see, it was this very reason, as I shared earlier, that Paul wrote these things to the Colossian church in danger of mixing these things together. Please, brothers and sisters, you can't think that Christ saves sinners and then think in some foolish way you add to that. You can't think that Christ alone saves and then believe that the waters of baptism has some, have some effect. You can't form your own thoughts about God and say, I don't believe fully in the one revealed in the Old Testament because I can't understand some of that. You see, those kinds of ways of thinking is exactly what Paul's getting at here. He wants you, as you view Christ and Calvary, to see everything colored by that and come to a proper understanding, setting things in order that you might find yourself delighting in the riches of this full assurance. It's this way. And it's precious. And those who've experienced indeed rejoice. And so as we leave this thought, this morning, the way of assurance of which I spent most of the time on, I believe it's most vital. I believe that in your life you should make it a priority in these ways to pursue it. The Bible indicates there's no other way. You see, coming up front, and I remember years ago as a Southern Baptist, people come up and they don't know if they're saved. They want to rededicate their life. I understand all of that. And I, there's places for that. But the real reality is this. This is the way you go about it. You want to enjoy these riches, this is the way you go about it. Don't envy the wicked. Watch the righteous. Let your examples and those you admire be those who, like Paul, sit in prison for the gospel's cause. Get a part of the body, respect them, invest in them. Let them invest in you. Pursue God through His Word. And look at life through Christ in every way. And then notice when we ask the question like this, what's the value 
of assurance. Now, I just want to say this in this place. The question here would be simply this. How do you value it? That's the real question. I can tell you what the value is to me. I can express to you from the words of the writers what the value is in the Scripture. But the question this morning for you and for me, for you in particular as you said here, is how do you value it? You see, if you and I go to a garage sale together, you might pay a dollar for something I wouldn't pay a dime for. You might join something that I wouldn't waste my money on. That doesn't mean one thing's wrong or one thing's right in that sense. It just simply means that we value things differently. My point in this particular area of our sermon is simply this. My question to you is, what is it that you value? Do you value this full assurance of understanding? Is it something in your life that you would see and say, that's what I want? If not, I'm convinced that there's probably some things. Number one, the hindrances to assurance that will be helpful here. But the way in which you value this assurance is critical. It will cause you to live a life that's quite different. It will cause you to be confident. And when your heart doesn't accuse you, according to 1 John, then you're confident in your faith. You're enjoying prayer. You're delighting in the body of Christ. Preaching makes a difference to you. Bible reading is exciting. You're looking for treasures. You see, what doesn't interest me at all is to give me one of those things that beeps in my ear and go around looking for stuff in the ground. It doesn't excite me at all. Some of you get excited about that. Not me. But all of us should get excited about this. You see, if we read our Bibles and there's some sense where there's no value here, something's wrong. That's the way we pursue understanding and knowledge. All right? Lastly, what are the hindrances to all of this? What, what would be the hindrances to this full assurance of understanding? Well, first and foremost is you're not a Christian. You only presume that you were. You see, many testimonies through my lifetime as a pastor or a Christian worker knocking on doors or inviting people to the gospel or to Christ, you would hear many things like this. Well, I used to play the harmonica in church. Well, when I was a kid, I went to vacation Bible school. Wrote, I raised my hand. You know, many things like that come across. Now, the delight of being a part of a church like this, those things really are not a part of what we do. And I'm thankful for that. But the reality is in your life, if there's no enjoyment of riches and there's no pursuit of full assurance, there ought to be a question mark about in your life, your condition spiritually. And the first thing you want to ask is, A, you want to make your calling and election sure, according to Peter. That's important. I would encourage you to do that. B, you've embraced some false teaching. Subtly. You see, no false teacher, I believe, and even these in those days, weren't accused of being so obvious that it was clear. They had plausible teachings. They were close to the Scripture. Their presentation sounded confident, according to the Bible. They had a show of religion outwardly. 
You see, what Paul was dealing with was subtle yet destructive heresies and teachings. How much heresy or false teaching can I embrace and then lose my sense of assurance or the enjoyment of riches? The question is, in your life, as you think through from a biblical perspective and the gospel, what are your thoughts about it? It's critical. Are there areas where the devil has built a stronghold? According to 2 Corinthians 10, these very weapons we've been given in the gospel ministry are there to tear those down that you might enjoy riches. The culture and the world is always putting before you a different belief system a different set of morals, a different understanding of God and the Bible and the gospel. To what degree will I buy into that? And how will that lay me aside? Listen, it certainly will do so. So this morning, my encouragement to you is simply this. As you consider this text, blessed assurance is certainly blessed. It's full of benefit and delight. Are you experiencing it? Are you enjoying it? If not, ask yourself why. Go through what we've shared and said. If you are delighting Christ, give Him thanks. Would you with me bow? Father, we thank You so much for the promise You've made us in the gospel. We thank You for Christ. We thank You for the forgiveness of our sins. We thank You for all that You've done in us and through Him. We pray Your blessing on Your people that Your sheep would enjoy You they would delight in everything that you've offered them. They would pursue it with all of their heart and enjoy it as you've given it riches, treasures, and delights. In your presence, there's fullness of joy at your right hand, treasures forevermore. Oh, Lord, might we enjoy them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.